You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Benny and the Bets. What's good, everybody? Welcome in to Benny and the Bets. If you see the face of one Reed Wallach on the other side, my longtime companion over at BetSided and the FanSided Network, the host of the Early Read, which should be able to check out on Tuesdays and Fridays this college football season. He's also going to be hosting uh, Stacking the Box College Football Edition with Cody Williams on Wednesdays. Reed, I am, first of all, I'm thrilled to have you here. Before I get to you, though, I do want to shout out our good friends over at PXG, who is the the sponsor of this great show, Benny and the Bets. Had a chance to take my old man in for the PXG Gen 6 Driver Challenge this week. Uh, challenge got him. They were very close, but has been using that ping driver for a long time. The PXG one ended up winning out. So until the end of August, if you have not gone and gotten a free driver fitting over at PXG, put up your driver to the challenge, whether or not that Gen 6 will be able to outperform it in disparity um, in as far as distance goes, anything. If their driver does not outperform your driver, you get a $100 MasterCard gift card. So get your signups today. Go visit their store over in Overland Park. Check them out wherever. Go see Alex. You're going to have a great time. Right now, the driver fitting is free over at PXG. Now, with that, also uh, an esteemed golfer, my friend Rui Wallach, here with it's us. Line, on the show. That's a lot of flattering. That's the most flattering thing. For all those flattering rounds, set of that intro. Just a few weeks away from college football. How was you? How was your? And it's great to see you. It, it's great to be on the show. I, I'm flattered about the the golf talk. I mean, yeah, I might need to go into PXG and get my uh, own driver fitting. See if I could uh, pick up a few yards of distance there. But yeah, it's a. Uh, Great to be here, Ben. Pumped to be on the show. Pumped to talk college football. Lot, lot happening. A lot really fast. Uh, but yeah, this is a great time of year. Let's. Just, I'm. I'm like chomping at the bit for these games to start. We're so close. I know. We're very, very close to finally putting it all together. Here's how we're gonna break this down over the course of today's show. Uh, Reed, being the insider that he is, the man who has uh, been eating, drinking, sleeping college football. Uh, all throughout the offseason leading up to the start of the season. We're going to focus on the local teams first, dive into a little bit of KU, K-State, Mizzou, and, and then work our way outside towards some of the top-tier contenders. We'll talk some Heisman, talk some long shots as well. Um, I also want to get his perspective on Graham Mertz's new situation, which as a Wisconsin Badger, I know that that is a name that has a bit of disgust for you, but he is a local kid. Uh, from the Overland Park area here in Kansas City. Um, so I'm curious as to your thoughts on him and his new situation. But let's let's kind of start things off with all the movement, Reed. Like, it's obviously been a remarkable offseason for college football in general. And I'm wondering, you know, obviously you're going to have some new teams in the Big 12 this year. You're going to start to see more of the emergence over the next handful of years. How do you think all of this college football realignment will ultimately impact how you start to handicap a season in particular, trying to deal with all the additional travel that's likely to come as well. Yeah. It's something that you're really starting to see this season. I think more so than in other seasons, uh, one team off the top of my head that is 
both a benefactor and on the negative side of it, BYU joined the Big 12, playing up in Provo, Utah, a noted home field advantage already. But that's also going to be, you know, you look at all the other teams in the Big 12, nobody's playing at altitude like that. No one's really traveling like that. So BYU is a team that it's kind of a blessing and a curse that they have to travel so far because it goes the other way. They also need to leave Provo all the time to play on the road. So I think geography is going to play a huge role in this. And I haven't necessarily thought I think it's going to have to, I'm going to have to see the schedules. I'm going to have to really sit down and think about how I do all apply to this because when I'm analyzing these schedules from like a preseason perspective, Ben, I'm looking at the travel. I'm looking at, are you traveling twice in three, uh, twice in three weeks? Are you going home, going back on the road and stuff like that? So I do think that there is a possible hidden edge here in travel. I'm sure that people are going to be wise to it very quickly and see it. It's for realignment as a whole, as a college football purist, I'm not super thrilled about it. Uh, I think that overall college football might be moving in the wrong direction because the people in charge don't necessarily care about like what me and you care uh, watching, but I'm still going to sit down every Saturday. I'm going to watch. I'm going to still handicap all these games. I'm going to be locked in. I do think though that there's a weird kind of transition going on with college football, the expansion of the playoff, all these conferences condensing. You might start to see some you know, take it from the NBA or even like end of the NFL season, like some load managing type sitting out situations where it used to be in college football. I mean, you could lose a game, but you really like, you can't really lose a game. You know, that really sets you back more. Now with the expanded playoff, you might be able to drop a game inside the end of the world, especially with how difficult these conferences are now. Um, So I don't like where it's going long-term. I think the travel is going to be a huge factor. I mean, we're talking big 10, you have Washington, and Oregon joining the Big Ten and possibly more in the future. We'll see. There's a lot of questions here moving forward. For just this season, though, it is not that crazy, though. There are a few interesting uh, geography situations going on, but long-term, definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's fascinating as to whether or not the fan experience will be taken into consideration because there's still a major source of revenue for these schools. Now, ultimately, it's going to come down to what these television contracts are able to do. That's still the end-all, be-all to you know folks that are cutting the cord, that are trying to um, instill some aspect of skipping through commercials. Having that aspect of live sports is not going to change. But I, I don't know. I, I, I still am at the point where I'm left figuring out at some point, these conferences really aren't going to mean a whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. And even though it's so saturated right now, it just doesn't feel like any sort of local ties and local rivalries really have the same type of effect when so many of these other schools are splitting off from each other and athletic departments don't want to continue those rivalries as well. Almost out of spite. I mean, Missouri and Kansas here have been dealing with that since Missouri left for the SEC. And it's still an ongoing discussion and ongoing issue. Yeah, it's it, it's a weird dichotomy between what the fans want because like and, and what the decision makers and the power players really want. And like even when the news dropped, I mean, obviously USC and UCLA, that was last summer, this summer it was Washington, Oregon joining the Big Ten. I didn't really see anyone make a like, wow, like let's go, Big Ten, like 
got Oregon. I didn't really see that. I kind of saw everyone going the other way and how I feel. And maybe it's kind of like a reverberate my thoughts were reverberating back on me, but everyone's kind of like, that's like, that's the end of the Pac-12 right there. Like, that's not fun. Like, we love the Pac-12. Like, as much as it will probably be entertaining and I'll probably watch with the same vigor, Illinois traveling to Eugene at 10 o'clock uh, in the Pac-12, in the Big Ten after dark, doesn't hit the same way as when uh, Arizona's in, Arizona's going out there and these chaotic games are going on. This doesn't hit the same way. So I think part of me thinks that after all these conferences cash out, and maybe this is the optimist in me part of me thinks that we're gonna see it come back the other way where these rivalries and all these conferences are gonna break apart and whether it's non-conference play or these conferences end up coming back to where they were and they end up like re-splitting back out I do think over time you're gonna see these fans yearn for it and these decision makers are gonna make so much money and they're not gonna they're gonna be more open to like the nostalgia factor like we just saw the backyard brawl back for the first time in several years between Pitt and West Virginia last year. Wow. Huge numbers, and uh, I believe it was week one, maybe it was week zero, but op- opening weekend um, did huge numbers. Penn State and West Virginia renewed pleasantries this year. You're seeing a lot of these rivalries already from the first kind of wave of realignment. You're already seeing them come back in vogue, like Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. As of now, looks like it's going to be done for a while. I I have a good feeling that cooler heads will prevail in like five years and it will be the biggest thing that those two are getting back together. So um, even if it's a non-conference play, I do think we're separating from rivalries, but I do think it's going to come back. I hope you're right because I feel like from the fan base's perspective, that's that's what's real. That's what continues a lot of the spirit uh, because you know you're not watching from a college football and a college basketball perspective. You know you're not watching a better product than the professionals, but it's the fan bases. It's the energy within the stadium that is a key part of this. And I think the further you move away from it, like you said, uh, fan bases still crave it and the television ratings reflected it. So I really hope you're right. And especially here in town, I think there's not anybody that, that would come to the realization that if Kansas and Missouri aren't playing each other, then that's not a good thing for the area. And that's not good. It's not a good thing for the fan base. So I hope that I hope that you're right because it's what, ties so many of these programs together. You brought up the Big 12. I think that's a really good place to start. Um, Texas right now, the favorites, um, you look at the the odds right now on, on DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, even money to win the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma coming up behind them at plus 350. So really Texas, the kind of the undisputed um, top dog at the top of the Big mm-hmm. 12. And then you have Kansas State, who is available as long as 7-1, after a terrific year, granted you lose to Spawn, but I, the quarterback position is something that whenever Chris Kleiman has taken over a school, sometimes I think we tend to forget about the, the type of impact he's had on quarterbacks that he's coached over the course of his time. Uh, and Howard coming in, they're bringing eight players back on offense. Do you look at K-State in a similar vein as, you know, this is a team that was right on the edge and had a couple of bad losses if not due to the fact that their quarterback situation was rough and inconsistent last year, where they could have been even better. So, so what's your overall evaluation on, on K state heavily juiced to the over for the win total at seven and a half. And right now it's high as seven to one to, to win the big 12. Uh, What's your standpoint coming into the year for them? Yeah. uh, 
bullish on Kansas State. I unfortunately, I haven't been able to find the number that I wanted with Kansas State to back them. The schedule isn't a breeze. I mulled taking them to win the Big 12 again. I stayed off it. I don't know if I'm going to end up having any bets on this team, but this is a team I'm still relatively high on. I agree with the market. They're probably going to, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine wins, all very likely. I think eight's probably the most likely number. Market agrees. Uh, this is a Kansas State team that, sure, they lose Deuce Vaughn and they lose Adrian Martinez. I think one could argue that Will Howard, who got significant playing time last year, uh, and Adrian Martinez, he seemed to be like kind of close to returning and, uh, the climate stayed with Will Howard. I mean, Will Howard's numbers looks rock solid, 60% completion percentage, 15 to three touchdown interception ratio. Uh, he's capable on the ground. I think that this offense, they're not really going to lose much. I'd say Will Howard's probably a better downfield passer as well. Then you say you lose Juice Vaughn. Okay, well, they hit the portal. And they got Trayshawn Ward, who averaged over six yards a pop at Florida State. I mean, really explosive. He's not, might not be as explosive as Deuce Vaughn, but I don't see that big of a drop-off. Ward just couldn't get ahead of Trey Benson in a loaded Florida State team, but I mean, this offense is still going to hum pretty good. They also bring back all of their offensive linemen, so I don't expect to drop off on offense. I think this offense is still going to be above average, maybe even elite levels in the Big 12. The defense has a little bit of a concern, though. They lose, I'm going to butcher his last name, but um, they lose a first-round prospect on the defensive line. I'm not I'm not even going to try and uh, pronounce his last name, Felix. That's going to hurt. This is a Kansas State team that doesn't recruit at the level that Texas or even Oklahoma is going to where, you know, they're going to try and maximize their edges on the defensive line. They're going to be a little undersized. So when you lose a, you know, first-round prospect, that that hurts. So I think you do see Kansas State drop off on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, just look at my numbers quickly. Kansas State, they only return... 49% on the defense side of the ball from last year's uh, Big 12 championship team. And that was a really rock-solid unit. I mean, you're talking uh, allowed less than two points per drive, got on the backfield at a top 50 clip, a top 50 clip. I mean, top 10 in turnovers, top 30 in success rate. So this was an elite defense. I do see a drop-off there, and that's what's probably going to keep me off from betting them to whether win the Big 12, win total, but again, this is still a very, very good team. You're talking schedule. Uh, I mean, it it has some good and some bad. You do go to Texas Tech, but you got TCU at home. You go to Texas, but you get Baylor at home. So it's a little tricky how the schedule is going to pan out. I expect Kansas State to be in the mix. I think that they probably end up coming just short of making the Big 12 because that defense isn't as much of a backbone. Yeah. They also have a really good opportunity at the end of the year to make a run, too. You mentioned the game November 4th at Texas. That's going to be a challenge. But then two out of the last three games at home, uh, take on taking on Baylor. They go on the road to KU on November 18th. Uh, and then the final game of the season at home against Iowa State. Uh, so that has an opportunity. If you look you know, at that TCU game starting in mid-October, they, they have a chance to go 5-1. and one. Uh, If they somehow stun Texas... Uh, you're, you're talking about clearly going over that number at seven and a half. I'm a bit surprised too, that it's just hovered there and hover there, even as heavily juiced as it is. Um, you mentioned Will Howard and his ability to be a key downfield passer. I'm looking at his touchdown number at 22 and a half evenly split at, at DK. 
uh, minus 115 on both sides. That sounds a bit low given the numbers that he put up last year and not having these Vaughn in the equation almost makes me think he's going to be throwing it more. And you factor in a defense that is taking a step back and the need for more points. Is 22 and a half, you think, the right number for his touchdown prop this season? I'm not as well-versed when it comes to like player prop projections. It's something that I I think that uh, the over does seem appetizing. Again, this is Will Howard who... You know, he only, we're talking just straight started. He only started four games, five games last year. Uh, and he got to 15. So that's an average of three. So you're already well on pace here if he could uh, maintain that pace. You know, I, I wonder, I, I'd probably lean towards the over. I mean, I'm just, I'm taking a look now at the defenses that they're playing. I mean, they were able to score on Texas last year, they scored 27 points in a loss. Kansas, they've had their number in Kansas defense. Still a problem. We're going to talk about them. Texas Tech is a good defense, but I think that they were very fortunate last year. So I, I think there's going to be enough where Kansas State, if they lose, they might be losing in shootouts. I don't see that this offense being kept down. I, I think Kansas State probably looking at, again, I, looking at their numbers from last season, Kansas State checked in. Where is their EPA number? Uh, I, I would say, you know, this was like an above-average offense. I'd say they'd probably take a step forward on the offensive side of the ball, to be honest. I'd probably go over. Over 22 and a half. Yeah, it, it feels like, and, and what's also interesting is we'll, we'll talk about uh, Jalen Daniels' number uh, coming up for, for next season as well because it's actually a little bit higher than Howard. And I'm curious to get your reaction on that uh, as well. We're going to take a quick break. More with Reed Wallach. You can find his work over on the Fan Side Network. Cross bet sided as well. He's the host of the Early Read, which you can catch every Tuesday, Friday. Uh, also, the co host of Stack in the Box College Football Edition on Wednesdays as well. We'll dive into KU and Mizzou coming up on the other. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app, find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. What's good, everybody? It is Ben Heisler from Benny and the Bets here on KCSN. And if you are ready, to go the distance and improve your golf game like I am in the process of doing, I want you to head on over to PXG right here in Kansas City and take the PXG Gen 6 Driver Challenge. They are confident in the Gen 6 that they're putting their money where their mouth is. If their Gen 6 Driver does not deliver more distance, more carry and roll, higher dispersion compared to your current driver when you go in for a fitting, they got you covered with a $100 MasterCard reward card. That's it. Going for a driver fitting. See if your driver is up to their driver. And if it is, you get a $100 MasterCard reward card in the process. This is an unbelievable opportunity to upgrade your game with a custom fit PXG fitting. I've had it at the Kansas City store with Alex. It was one of the great experiences I've had in a golf fitting period. So, Take the PXG Gen 6 driver all throughout the month of August and get ready to hit those fairways with confidence. So visit your local Kansas City store or head on over to pxg.com for all the terms and conditions. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. All right, welcome back. Benny and the Bets, Reed Wallach, our guy alongside. Always great to be able to talk college football with him. This has been an episode. Uh, we talk about uh, you know, games circled on the on the schedule, Reed. Uh, for months. This is an episode of Benny and the Bets that uh, 
I, I had circled for for quite some time uh, in bringing you on. So it's great to see you. It's great to have you with us this year. Let's talk about KU. Uh, three and six in the Big 12, you'd think for most teams that's not ideal. But given where they were before, uh, six and seven overall, three and six in the Big 12, a tremendous leap uh, for Lance Leipold a season ago. Uh, and their offense is legit. They scored a bunch of points. Jalen Daniels put up some terrific numbers. Uh, but on the defensive side, they're making the offense look a little bit better because they're naturally going to have to score a ton of points to be able to keep up. Uh, line for KU uh, is not particularly interesting as far as pulling off a surprise and winning the uh, and winning the Big 12. As far as their win total on the year, it's sitting at around, what, five, six and a half for, for Kansas? I, I'm, I'm trying to at least make the determination um, for what are realistic expectations. Yeah, it's you're seeing six at uh, even money at minus 115. Uh, some books have even put KU to six and a half um, with uh, plus odds as, as high as plus 128. So you can either go for the six, you can go for the six and a half uh, for the Jayhawks this year. Uh, give me your assessment on, on what we can expect in Lawrence given the momentum from a season ago, given the recruiting that is really starting to skyrocket, but still a lot more work needed to be done. Yeah, that, listen, banner year for Kansas. I know, it, it sound, like you said, Ben, it sounds crazy, but it really, it, that was a dream season for Kansas. Even with Jalen Daniels going down with an injury, this Lance Leipold has come in and created a top 10 offense, which is pretty wild to think about, but it's true. And how they bring back 91% returning production per ESPN. Uh, this offense is going to be better, which is crazy to say. Uh, you're going to get a full season, hopefully, of Jalen Daniels. He seems to be fully healthy and ready to go. And it's worth noting, though, Jason Bean came in last year, and Kansas offense didn't really miss a beat. So I think this offense is going to be, again, top 10, top 5 in the entire country. The issue is the defensive side of the ball which kept them out of games. It's the reason why they didn't compete with the Oklahomas or the, you know, the, the higher end talents in the conference because the defense couldn't get enough stops. I know the offense puts a lot of pressure on the defense, but there's still no excuse for this. I mean, the excuse is that they lack talent, but you know, this is a team that was bottom 10 in EPA per play, uh, bottom, I mean, outside the top 100 in success rate through the air, uh, through the ground, top one outside the top 100 in EPA per play through the air. So this is a defense that they couldn't stop anybody. And when they lose, it's typically because they're allowing 40-plus points and the offense can't you know, get a touchdown every single drive. So how does that figure into this year? My numbers are actually like very high on Kansas. Um, I actually project them for right around seven wins, which would say, Reed, you should probably take the over. Um, I, I didn't pull the trigger on the over because there's in college football you if you notice year over year there's like trends that develop and teams kind of fall into place and like a they're like a little sticky to like what they're expected to do and Kansas over the last I don't know well over a decade have been expected to win like one or two games every single year so they finally break out and they make a bowl game last year and all of a sudden the win total flies up so while we think that we know that Kansas is about to take this big jump, we don't really know how to quantify where that landing spot is for like the future of Kansas football. And there's a few teams this year that like fall into the same 
type of uh, bucket where it's what is the true expectation of Kansas moving forward? Is it guaranteed bowl eligibility? Because again, this is a feel-good story last year. Now you have to go do it again, and then that's you hitting your bet. So I'm a little shaky to bet them in the win total market, especially because the defense is still going to be so poor. But I will say I, I do like Kansas looking at their schedule. Illinois in week two, I like Kansas in that matchup. I think that the offense is going to do enough against a new-look Illini defense. Kansas is going to be, you know, pick them in that game, maybe, I mean, probably spread inside of three. Um, I, I could look in a second and see what my number makes it, but I like Kansas in that game specifically because Illinois, transitioning defensive coordinator, lose several pros in the secondary, new quarterback, lose their bell cow running back. While Kansas' defense has concerns, I don't really expect Illinois' defense or Illinois' offense to exploit Kansas that badly. And meanwhile, the other end, I really like Kansas at home with that explosive offense to do enough. So I, I won't give out like a future bet, but I, I I am very, very likely to bet Kansas against Illinois in week two, assuming it is inside of a field goal. Yeah, and and there's been a, a history too with, with Brett Bielema of, of struggling early portion of the season and eventually things start to get rolling. But um, that's the time where you want to play this Illinois team, uh, given all the changes both uh, offensively and defensively. Um, and that's going to be a really good environment over in Lawrence as well. You talked about the defense. Great stat from uh, Pete Futek over at College Football News. So over the last three seasons, the Jayhawks were 8-1 when they allowed fewer than 175 yards, 0-25 when they do not. So even we we, we can talk about the, the KU offense until we're blue in the face. At some point, you still need to be able to make stops. And even in a, a banner year, uh, for the Jayhawks over the last, what, since the Orange Bowl season, most likely. Uh, we're, we're talking about still one of the worst defenses, really bad uh, in EPA, as you mentioned, uh, as well. This is a team that if you get some stops, and there's a lot of experience coming back for for the Jayhawks as well. I I think I'm willing to go ahead and consider uh, that six and a half, depending on, on how long I can get it. If it's still around like plus 130, you might as well go ahead and, and play for the win as opposed to the tie um, with that number at six. So I, I think there's some some intriguing value there uh, for Kansas. And also, they, they, there's still one of your guys in, in Logan Brown uh, from the Badgers uh, coming out and uh, moving on in, into Lawrence as well. No, a lot a lot of guys love the Badgers uh, after the last year, so I, I can't, uh, can't fault anyone. So let's talk about the Tigers. And this is one I know that with KU and K-State, um, you, you, do, you didn't necessarily have a play on the board. And by the way, for, for anybody that wants to follow Reed and all of his picks, uh, just like I do, if you have a BetStamp account, you can track us in real time. Um, all of Reed's college football bets for the season are available. You can check out when he placed the bet. Um, what he's risking on it in units. Uh, and as far as Missouri goes, this is actually a team that uh, you've placed a bet on this year and you're taking the under on six and a half. Um, what led to that decision back in, I believe, mid-July when you said to yourself, this isn't going to be it for the Tigers this year? You know, it's a team, Missouri, playing in the SEC. And I, I actually like a lot uh Eli Drinkowitz quite a bit. I think he's building a really, really good program. They just landed a five-star recruit also, but it, it's still going to take a little bit more time. This is a Missouri team that 
continues to land right around six wins. And to me, in the SEC with their schedule, say, make it a bowl. Just take it. You know, this is a team that's going to take a few years. And what it really comes down to is quarterback play. Uh, Cook was terrible last year. This was an offense that greeted out below the national average EPA per play and success rate. While they brought some competition, Jake Garcia seldom used backup for Miami. Probably a bit of a higher ceiling, but um, still undecided. We're, what, a week and two weeks out from opening game and they haven't announced a quarterback yet. That's a bit concerning. Um, I just don't trust this offense still. And while the defense is going to be nails, defense, I mean, was top third in the entire SEC last year, graded out very nicely and brings a lot back, honestly. So this defense is going to keep Missouri in games. Great, a 26th in success rate, 45th in EPA per play against a really difficult schedule. I mean, they took Georgia to the brink last year. They should have won at Auburn. So I know that Missouri probably is a better team than their record states, but that still doesn't mean it's going to translate to wins on the field. I project Missouri for around 6.1 wins. Um, and I look at the schedule, I'm just not sure I see the wiggle room for them to get over. While they do host Kansas State in a potential revenge spot because Kansas State dump trucked them last year, um, I still give the Wildcats a nod again because that offensive upside. I do expect them to go 3-1 and one in non-conference play. But after Vanderbilt, and even if I give them South Carolina, that's five wins, you're telling me I need to find two more wins on the schedule where they're playing LSU, at Kentucky, at Georgia, Tennessee, at Arkansas, and the Florida game, which I maybe we'll bring back up Florida, but I still that's going to be a pretty significant talent discrepancy. So I'll throw Florida in that coin flip as well. Um, so I just struggle to see Missouri get into seven wins here. So six wins feels really likely. Um, I think Missouri should take that and continue to build towards the future. And hopefully with some of the new uh, NIL money coming in, uh, they could land a quarterback in the transfer portal. So of Missouri's six wins from a season ago, they were five and one when their quarterback passed for more than 224 yards. So now they bring in Kirby Moore, and that was a Mountain West championship offense, right? Um, was it Jake Hayner was their starting quarterback? And, you know, 20 touchdown passes, three picks. If Moore is able to get that type of production out of Missouri, is is that kind of the the wild card here? That if you get that type of quarterback play and production, we're we're looking at a team that could very easy not easily uh, go past that that number of six that you have projected for. But uh, what type of sort of differential are we talking about here? If, if Kirby really gets the offense going, I I just struggle seeing the offense. I mean, Jake Hayner is a he's a pro like he's he's on the new orleans saints like he got drafted brady cook is I, respectfully probably gonna be in the you know greater missouri area you know working in like real estate or finance or something i mean you know he's you know they they brought in J jake uh garcia to you know make a run for uh this job and he hasn't ran away with it yet so maybe missouri gets to seven wins maybe they get the you know home game against kansas state with that defense but this is a team that's going to pride themselves on the defensive side of the ball for sure this is this offense has a very limited ceiling with the quarterbacks at hand especially against um the sec defensive schedule that they have all right good stuff from reed wall we're gonna take a quick break on the other side picks for the heisman who's the possible dark horse team to be able to make it to the college football playoff 
everything you need as far as getting your future bets in order for college football season, plus a couple of very intriguing dark horse picks as well. Stay with us. Plenty more with our guy, Reed Wallach, over at Fansided and Betsided, right here on Benny and the Bets, presented by PXG. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so as I mentioned before, if you head on over to Betstamp and you follow our guy, Reed Wallach, which you, which you, you should be doing anyway, um, to make sure that uh, your, your plays are in order and you're getting these in real time, there's a plethora of, of preseason <laughs> clicks. Uh, you scroll and you scroll and you scroll, but I was able to to dive through it uh, and find a couple of the ones that certainly caught my eye. Um, so I want to start off with some of the long shots that you have on the board, and then we can work our way to Heisman. We can work our way to national championship. Really, we can kind of go rapid fire in whatever direction you want to take it to close out the show. Reed. So the, a couple that, that caught my eye, um, let's start in the big 12 UCF. You were able to get at plus 4,000 yeah. in the big 12 in their first year. Uh, obviously it's going to be Texas and then kind of everybody else. We mentioned K state. And their opportunity as well. But what are you looking at from the the Knights' perspective that coming in this year, they have a chance to make it all the way to the championship game and, and possibly even win it at uh, pretty steep odds at forty to one. Yeah, I, I I believe I don't know if forty to one still there, but this thirty five to less than I've seen thirty. And I was gonna say down down to thirty to one is still playable to me it's not a big bet it's just kind of a dart throw on the premise that the big 12 over the last few years a lot of parody no one saw tcu coming last year well some of us saw what was coming but you know the the <laughs> the public did not know did not foresee tcu and kansas state playing the big 12 championship game the year before didn't necessarily see oklahoma state being a yard away from the college football playoff against baylor in the big 12 championship game so the Big 12 has been a little bit more parity-filled than past few years. And that was kind of going into it. I also, I agree that Texas should be the favorite. I agree that they are far and away the most talented team, and they probably will end up winning the Big 12. But I, I just, I got to see it first. I have a few questions for Quinn Ewers that I need to see answered, and Steve Sarkeesian second-half coaching to bet this team at even money when they don't even have the, you know, a walk-in-the-park schedule. Oklahoma has the easy schedule, but they have plenty of questions of their own. They don't have necessarily the best wide receiver play yet. We didn't really see Oklahoma thrive last year under first-year coach Brent Venable. So top two teams, few questions there. So maybe we have some vulnerable teams we want to take a shot at. To me, UCF makes a lot of sense. This has been a team with Gus Malzahn that has been getting a lot of power five transfers, transferring down to UCF at the AAC. Yes, they're moving up, but this is a this is a team now that is kind of prepared for the power five level. You look at Houston, BYU, and um, Cincinnati. Those teams are moving up, but they don't have the roster quality 
that UCF has. They bring back John Reese Plumlee at quarterback, a dual threat, kind of a roller coaster. You have to sign up for him because he struggles to throw the ball downfield, but he's really dynamic in the open field with his legs. Maybe that opens up the run game as well. UCF plays a really frenetic tempo, really loaded defense as well. I mean, again, power five transfers moving down. To me, UCF, a lot of upside here. I mean, highest win total for sure of all the AAC teams. And again, maybe if Baylor and Texas Tech are a little overrated and Kansas State and TCU take a step back after dream seasons, maybe it's UCF who sneaks in. I mean, you talk about the schedule, they avoid Texas, which to me, that's a huge plus because that's the game you're going to be the biggest underdog in. They're the best team. They have to go to Oklahoma. That comes off of a bye. And what if Oklahoma struggles like they did last year and all of a sudden going to Norman isn't as challenging? They play Kansas State. Not going to be easy. It's on the road. But uh, they also host Oklahoma State, one of their toughest games. And they get Texas Tech right before their Texas game. So there are, it's not an easy schedule. You got to look through it with a little bit of rose-colored glasses here. But I think that UCF could maybe play up to the upper tier of the Big 12. And they're being priced closer to the bottom part of the Big 12. So I see a little bit of wiggle room here. And again, if you go back and look at TCU and Kansas State's schedule last year, the win totals were way off. You know, no one was forecasting Big 12 championship or anything. So you got to get a little creative when you're looking down the board like this. I personally took UCF as my uh, dart throw in the Big 12. I like it. And especially with Malzahn's experience um, and the type of recruiting class that he continues to bring in. And he's always been somebody that has been, you know, initially defense first. Um, Sometimes you zig when everybody else is zagging and the Big 12 has not necessarily been known for their defensive prowess over the last several years. Um, UCF is going to be able to score some points, but it's still a team with a head coach with a defensive first mentality. And you can control and dictate tempo a little bit too if you're able to set a tone on defense. So I think coming in, it might kind of throw teams a little bit off. And, and I think that number, especially you can still find it at 35 to 1, uh, is very intriguing for UCF. At the Heisman Trophy level, uh, I know you're big on Kate Klubnik over at Clemson. Um, mm. Obviously, the, the talent is there. The DJ Uyangalale experiment did not work out particularly well uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, the talent is certainly there from Club and I think that's that's well documented. I'm wondering for somebody like if you're, you're if not for Club Nick, like do you want to go down the board and, and maybe even consider somebody like Shipley in the mix as well? Like do you hedge a Club Nick Heisman bet if Shipley just continues to go nuts? Uh, why is he your guy for for the Heisman in addition to just the the talent is there and the ACC is is fairly open for Clemson's a lot. Yeah, when you're looking at the Heisman Trophy, there's kind of a science to it. It sounds silly, but there there are like certain benchmarks that you need to clear to win the Heisman Trophy. And you know, if you want to separate into three key things, I, that's a bad word, but things. Um, criteria, a, your criteria, right? You need to think. I think things work. Yeah. A or one, you need to put up a lot of stats. You got to. Stuff the statue. I mean, you look at Caleb Williams last year. It passed for over 4,500 yards and 50-plus total touchdowns, five interceptions. Was nuts. So you probably have to throw for like, or I would say compile over like, you know, 4,500 total yards. And you probably have to combine for, you know, close to 40 touchdowns and not turn the ball over a lot. So can Clemson do that after what happened last year? 
Absolutely. Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, he messed up. Bunch of nepotism last year. Promoted two of his uh, assistants up to offensive and defensive coordinator. Huge mistake. It didn't work. Dabo said, okay, I messed up. I'm going to go fix it. I'm going to go get the best offensive coordinator in the entire country. Garrett Riley from TCU. They went to the national championship game behind it. An explosive offense. He's now the offensive coordinator at Clemson. You look back at TCU last year. Team I was high on going into the year. Max Duggan wasn't supposed to start last year. He was not the week one starter. Chandler Morris was. Chandler Morris got hurt in the first half of the Colorado game. Duggan comes in. The rest is history. That team was top 10 in EPA per play. They had top 10 in yards per play. They scored over three points per drive. They were nuts. Max Duggan was a Heisman finalist. So, okay. We have the offensive coordinator in place. He's going to simplify the offense. going to be quick. Get the ball out. There's offensive weapons for Klubnik to throw to, like Bo Collins, Williams, Noble Johnson's getting a lot of buzz. And he also brings back four or five offensive linemen. So the weapons are there for this Clemson offense that wasn't that bad last year if you look at the numbers. They were still 30th in success rate last year. So this Clemson offense wasn't all that bad. I think Garrett Riley could unlock it with a better passer in a five-star prospect than Cade Klubnik. So stats, check. Are they going to win enough games? If you don't win at least nine games, but in my opinion, closer to 10, 11 games, you're probably not going to win the Heisman unless you're doing something ridiculous. Could someone do something ridiculous this year? Yes, absolutely. But a, someone hasn't won the Heisman with less than nine wins since like 1987. So you could throw that out. If your team's not good, you're not going to win. So is Clemson going to win enough? Yes. I actually think Clemson's going to go undefeated in the regular season. You look at their schedule. All their biggest games are at home. They're going to be favored in every single game. So will they win all of them? I don't know. Like, maybe not, but they're going to be Mark, favored in every game. At, at nine without any sort of... Oh, yeah. They're going, to, they're going to lose at most one game in the regular season. They host Florida State. They host Notre Dame. And then their two toughest road games are af, off a bye against Miami and then at North Carolina State, who they've kind of been able to handle just with, like, kind of their size um, on the defense side of the ball. So, team success, stat compiling, great. We have those two. Marquee games of the third. A lot of the Heisman is simply narrative-based. You need to have, like, the Heisman moment. It sounds silly, but, like, that's the truth. Like, you need, look at Georgia last year. Stetson Bennett wasn't going to put up the numbers necessary because they were favored by three touchdowns in every game. It didn't matter what he did. Like, no, when your team is almost too good, if you're not overwhelming with like such crazy statistical success, you're not going to get a bunch of buzz because you're just destroying teams like you're supposed to. This year, I don't really think that's going to be the case for a lot of these candidates, especially Clemson. They're favored by three in the look-ahead market against Florida State. Notre Dame, even if Notre Dame isn't that good this year and like they are closer to like an eight-win Notre Dame, Still Notre Dame. That game is a huge, you know, that's going to be probably prime time in Death Valley. Everyone's going to be watching because it's Notre Dame. Okay, so you beat Notre Dame. How about at Miami? Also probably national television. End of the season, how about you play future top five pick Drake May from North Carolina in week 12? And then you close at South Carolina, one of the rivalry games. South Carolina's defense is bad. and It's revenge for last year after Clemson lost. So those three things. Make me really bullish on Cade Klubnik to win the Heisman 16-1. to You look at everyone ahead of him, I question 
if these guys are going to be able to be on like undefeated teams. Like if Clemson is able to run the table, Cade Klubnik, surefire finalist, and that is like an incredibly plus. Yes, especially at plus 1,600. I, the only reason I brought up Shipley is because uh, the, the numbers are spectacular. It's just a question, I think, of whether or not we're at a point, and I know that Devontae Smith won it a couple of years ago, but it, that was more of the exception mm-hmm. rather than sort of the, the narrative-driven aspect of the award. And what number do you think would somebody have to be, regardless of how dynamic they are, for you to consider a non-quarterback to win that award? This year, or, or or like in general, yeah. Uh preseason. You can still find it. I think either eighty to one or a hundred to one. Just no, I wouldn't bet that. Okay. In reality, Shipley, like it, it, it's probably like I don't want to say something like outrageous, but like he's not going to win. Like if if Clemson does what they're supposed to do, Cade Klubnik will win the Heisman, not Shipley, because. If Clemson can't throw the ball down the field again, then neither guy will be in the conversation. Yeah, there there's too many pass happy offenses with really good quarterback play on really good teams that one of those guys will rise to the top. Let me throw another. Be Let me throw another intriguing one hundred to one name to you, a guy that I I know that you like, uh, maybe not necessarily for the Heisman, but just as at, from a quarterback play, especially when we work together. Reports right now coming out of, of Salt Lake are that Cam Rising is going to be healthy for week one. Um, and that's a Utah team that has plenty of talent offensively. Um, whether or not that he can have his defined Heisman moment is debatable, but there's also an intriguing storyline where if he comes out and balls out after a torn ACL and, and puts up superb numbers and Utah puts themselves in college football playoff contention, do you see a chance there? Is that a name that even assuming he's back by week one and in looking like the cam rising that we have known and have become accustomed to in the past, is that pie in the sky or is there legitimate value on the board? there? Probably not just because you're talking Utah's offense just isn't as explosive as Washington or USC and not to mention Utah's schedule is is brutal, especially in the non-con. So I don't know if I'd bet Cam Rising to win the Heisman. I am pretty confident I'm probably going to end up betting on Utah to win the Pac-12. I need to wait for Rising to be cleared and ready to go, but I still like Utah to win the conference, but I'm not sure he's going to be playing in week one. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Utah lost in week one and maybe even week two and then still went on to win the Pac-12 because like those those two games all matter to the Pac-12. Right. And and they're plus 550 right now. Uh, to my, my, my point of attack with Utah is I'm in no rush to bet that. I'm going to wait and see if Rising gets ruled out and like for some reason, you know, odds makers react and think like, oh, Utah, like their season's toast. I'll... They cashed for me the last two years, so I owe it to them to take them a third trade here in the final Pac-12 season. Um, but I, I'm in no rush. Like to me, you know, five to one is perfectly cool. So like if it shifts, if it shifts a little bit shorter, okay. I waited. I lost fifty cents. If it goes the other way and all of a sudden it's plus seven fifty, great. That's found money. All right. Before I let you go, and again, if you're not following Reed on Twitter, you should be doing so at Reed Wallach or X or whatever the the kids are calling it these days. <laughs> Uh, 
if you are not reading his work across the fan side and network, uh, you should be doing so because he will become a smarter uh, college football better and, and also just reads a good follow in general. Uh, maybe, maybe you mute him a little bit during, you know, NBA season if you're not prepared <laughs> for, uh, you know, 30 Brooklyn Nets tweets a, a game. Uh, but I will say there's plenty of really good insights, especially in college basketball season as well. Uh, so you should be following Reed. You should be checking out his work. Follow him on Betstamp as well. And be sure to join him for the early read every Tuesday and Friday, as well as Stack in the Box College Football Edition with Cody Williams. All right. But as we close things out, going across your entire board of bets, like if I said to you, okay, if there was sort of like this convince me moment um, for anybody listening that's like, okay, I want to make one, maybe two college football bets that I know that Reed is feeling about as secure about as anything on his board. It can be win totals. It can be highs, it can be whatever. Uh, where are you looking at your board to say, this is a number that A, is is still close to being available. I know that you got some some really good CL mm-hmm. for some of these earlier bets, but give us a couple that you really, really love entering the start of the season that uh, you'd say, like, if you're going to tail me on a few, these are probably the two that I would feel the most all right, I'll do one win total because like that, I think it's like minus like 135, minus 140 now, and I'll do one like long shot bet. How about All right. that? Love it. Okay. A win total that I feel really good about. Uh, <laughs> Penn State over nine and a half wins. Um, wow. I, I, I really, wow. I struggle. Okay. I struggle to see him. I, this is a 10 win team every way I look at it. I, I honestly think that there's a case for this team to be making the college football playoff. I, I think that Penn State is loaded this year. Um, really quick, I, you look at the schedule. Before I even tell you about the team, let me just tell you about the schedule. Yes, they play at Ohio State, and yes, they play Michigan. Even if they lose those two, they will be favored by at least. Yeah, they'll be favored by double digits in every single game the rest of the season. There you go. Dump. They take care of business in those 10 games and they lose the other two, you hit your bet. Congratulations. Um, not to mention they get Michigan at home, team they're going to ma- match up with pretty well. And they go to Ohio State. You know, I, I think Ohio State has a few questions. I'm not going to call for a Penn State upset in that game. Um, but I think that the market is giving Ohio State a big benefit of the doubt. They have plenty of talent, but Penn State has a boatload of talent. They have one of the highest returning productions in the entire country. They have first-round picks on both sides of the ball. They bring in one of the highest, most highly touted recruits at quarterback in Drew Aller, who you know I was calling for last year with Sean Clifford. I was begging for him to go in. This guy is a pro-ready arm, in my opinion. And he's next to two blue-trip running backs in Allen and Singleton, I think that this Penn State offense has a ceiling that it has, hasn't had since Saquon Barkley was there. And not to mention the defense with Manny Diaz. Uh, I mean, second best in the Big Ten. Eh, third best in the Big Ten, if not if not higher, third best in the Big Ten. Um, arguably the best cornerback in the conference in Kalen King. Had to, like, I looked at the stat like three times. 21 passes defended last season, Kalen King. He'll probably be a first-round pick next year. Um, so, yeah. Penn State over nine and a half wins. Um, that's one I feel. Um, I think they get to ten. I honestly, I think it's more likely they get to eleven than nine. Um, all right, long shot. 
Okay. You've, give, you've uh, given out a you've given out a couple long shots. No, 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 no. I got this. I got this. I got this. I got this. Georgia Southern to win the Sun Belt. It's a there it is. That's the role we were waiting for. Georgia Southern to win the Sun Belt. It's I think it's like fifteen to one now. I'm gonna be honest. I bet I bet twenty to one. So I don't mean to like pass post. I would still bet fifteen to one. Don't yeah, know. That's where, that's where they're currently sitting right now. Yeah. Shop around though, because these things are really fickle, but fifteen to one, that's the stopping point for me. This is a team that with Clay Helton, absolute rocket ship last year. On fire on offense. I, I gotta pull up the numbers fast, but I mean this team was regularly putting up, you know, into the thirties and forties. I mean, upset Nebraska last year. Um, average over six yards per play. The offensive line was absolutely nails. They only allowed seven sacks last year, second lowest in the entire country. Um, they were 27th in success rate. So how do they follow that up? If you look at what they did last year, they got a Buffalo transfer, Kyle Van Treese, who I didn't hold in very high regard, but Clay Helton absolutely unlocked him. Now, though, they get a guy who I actually think is much better in Davis Brin. I mean, this guy was top third in the entire country an EPA per drop back last year. So Davis Brim was at Tulsa, was a little banged up last year, but I think he's a better pure passer than Kyle Vantry. So I actually think that there's a higher ceiling somehow for this Georgia Southern offense to go. You look at what they bring back around him, leading rusher Jalen White's back. He had over 900 yards. Caleb put his back after nearly 1,000 yards through the air, as well as their third leading receiver in Burgess. Um, the offense was absolutely um, nails. They bring back a handful of seniors on the offensive line. The rub with this team, though, is the defense was god-awful. Literally can't be worse. It was arguably the worst in the entire country. I mean, bottom 10 across the board. They allowed, just to put some stuff, I mean, I have this, like, Google, I have this Excel spreadsheet, and there's, like, red everywhere. Um, Allowed (laughs) nearly six yards of carry, um, 106th in defensive success rate, allowed nearly seven yards per play. That was the fifth lowest in the country, and they got absolutely gashed. Um, So the defense can't get much worse, right? So, like, if you bank on, like, just, like, natural progression on the defensive side of the ball, um, maybe it gets a little bit better. They hired Brandon Bailey. He comes from Buffalo and Texas A&M, two very aggressive and strong defenses at both the G5 and the Power 5 level. They bring back a handful of leading tacklers as well. Watson Trent is back as well as Kadri Johnson. Jackson, sorry. My thing is, it can't be much worse. They're counting out a lot of transfers. If the defense goes from 130th to 95th, this team has an outside path to go into the Sunbelt Championship game, and then you have a 15-1 to shot because this is going to be the best offense in the entire conference. Now, last thing, divisions. South Alabama and Troy are the two best teams in this conference. They're both in the other division. So, so can Georgia Southern maybe, I mean, listen, at the group of five level, home field isn't as prominent. Obviously, you'd rather play these teams on your home field, but it's not like you're going into the big house. You're going to Marshall. Like, it's it's okay. You'll be okay. But, um, you know, they host Coastal Carolina, who I think is maybe a little bit vulnerable this year. They do go at Marshall and at Appalachian State down the stretch of the season, but I think the schedule is ripe for Georgia Southern to break through as like a long shot Sunbelt team. Um, So yeah, Georgia Southern, the fighting uh, Clay Heltons. There you go. 
1500 right now for Georgia Southern. If you buy into the offense, and it's hard not to, and then if you buy into the defense making some uh, turns in a positive direction, which there really is no other way to go, uh, kind of has to go up at this point, uh, certainly some intriguing value on the board. Reed, you're the best, man. It's great to catch up. Glad that uh, you are back safe and sound from uh, your travels. Uh, have a have a great year, man. Have a great, successful betting season, and uh, we'll have to get you back again soon uh, once college basketball season rolls around. And it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks again, Ben. Pumped for the season. Uh, yeah, looking forward to coming back on. Yeah, man. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.